everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and today we've got a very exciting episode. The world of fantasy television will never be the same because the long-awaited, long-anticipated, super expensive Lord of the Rings TV show has finally debuted on Amazon. I have, of course, referring to the first two episodes of The Ring of... The Rings, plural, of power. Yeah. Well, at long last, (laughs) we have returned to Middle-Earth. Uh, the beautiful beautiful new zealand and it's a very very cool looking show i'm excited for us to get into these first couple episodes i i know i have some opinions and charles (laughs) we haven't really talked in depth about the show yet Uh, the viewers or the listeners are going to get a yeah pretty fresh conversation from you you and me here that's right a fresh conversation indeed and this has been a long time coming this has been in the works for several years delays from covid and all of that there was a big super bowl commercial last year all of these and you keep reading about how huge this production is how much money was spent on it how papa bezos was personally involved in negotiations with the tolkien estate (laughs) (laughs) I, I call him that because he's, um, you know, he's one of those guys. <laughs> you view him as a father figure? <laughs> well, yeah, not really, but it's just fun. <laughs> he's kind of scary, actually. I'm glad he's not my dad. But um... <laughs> Shout out to Charles's real dad. Shout out. Less scary than Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Way less scary, but equally bald. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, it's equally bald. <laughs> Neither is more bald than the other. Exactly. So all that money can't make you any more bald than the next man. So sorry, Bezos. Oh, I think it can. <laughs> you can't make you more bald. Yeah, more bald. I was going to say, I thought you were saying less. No, so more you bald. Get a hair transplant. No, you cannot, you cannot go any further than completely bald. But it yeah. can buy you the film rights to The Lord of the Rings. Which nice sag. Thank you. <laughs> Way to move us away from the bald talk. <laughs> which I I want to say they spent something like two hundred fifty million at least just for the rights. Yeah, they they closed for two fifty million just for the rights, and then basically they spent hundreds of millions per season. They've agreed to do five seasons, and they've already. Sp- Started. They're in production of the second season already. So this is like a billion worth dollar. at least one billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is at least a That's... billion dollar enterprise taken on by oh uh, by Amazon. And of course, it's only two weeks from the release of House of the Dragon over on HBO. Right. So you have these two powerhouses duking it out side by side for. The fantasy television it's the, the competition we've never seen this before and the world of tv hasn't seen a billion dollar tv franchise before so a lot is happening in the industry and a lot is happening in the world of fantasy and 
what a great time to have a fantasy podcast with your lifelong friend and co-host. It is a great time for that, Charles. And I think it's also probably time for me to give my spoiler warning mm-hmm. because great I want to free us to get into this conversation no holds barred. And I think, oh, Charles, you know, we're not doing the whole turn this up in my headphones thing during the intro yeah. anymore. We shortened the intro, everyone. <laughs> we did reason for all those longtime really listeners. Big event. <laughs> yeah. So now I have to, should I still say to turn it down in your I headphones? I think it has you no... can. It, it has yeah. as much, you still turn it down in your headphones if you're turning it off. You don't need to turn it up to turn yeah. it down. Definitely don't. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And if it's the headphones line off if you haven't turned it. It's true. All right. Well, we're going to talk about episodes one and two of the Rings of Power here, and we won't be holding back when it comes to spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched the, those first two episodes, now's a good time to go do that, and then you can come back later. But in the meantime, you should probably turn this down in your headphones, and we'll see you later. See you later. Definitely. Go check those out if you're interested and come back because we have a lot of things to discuss. Before we get too deep into spoilers, there is some interesting things I wanted to talk to you about, Dylan, about the, like, leading up to the release of this episode. Like, the creative team involved, the production and all of that, and to get some of your feedback. One of the main things that a lot of people were asking, and people asked me personally, is like, oh, it's like, the original movie director, Peter Jackson, is he involved? The answer is no. Not really. <laughs> they were planning on being involved at some level, even as like a consultant, but I don't think they're involved at all. But what's interesting is that who is involved is the original movie's composer, Howard Shore. He wrote mm. the themes, like the main theme of the TV show. And then they brought in another person whose name I wanted to I wanted to get right here. I'll pull it up in a second. But um He did an incredible job taking those themes and he said, you know, I'm directly going to take from the movies and try and create like conceptually a score that could bridge the gap from the movies to the show. And in that essence, I think they nailed it. So I will bring up I'll bring up the music later. But that just like is another interesting piece. And another thing is they filmed a lot of the first season in New Zealand Weta Workshop, which did a lot of the creative work for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, was involved. So that was very cool. And I think getting to see all of those uh, settings from New Zealand was just a huge, um, huge benefit for the show. But I'm told that after COVID, like going back into the second season, they're going to film mostly in the UK. And they've kind of left New Zealand, which is big boo for sure. But we do love the UK over here. Shout out to our UK <laughs> listeners. Everyone knows that I'm a big fan of England. And, you know, I yeah. think a lot of... And the rest of the UK. I don't leave <laughs> love out the, the rest UK. of the UK. We here. love our UK and our UK listeners. We love our New Zealand listeners too. You know, we've been to we New do. Zealand. Yeah. We've climbed Mount Doom. We've done that. So to see Lord of the Rings leave that setting, which hasn't... I mean, it's not going to happen for a few years. But it, it is sad news it, but for now season one really exciting to see some of these locations and um to see all these what to workshop people in in work getting work which is great um 
One of the things that I found absolutely fascinating, Dylan, Jeff Bezos sits on the negotiation table. They spend $250 million on the film rights. They're trying to figure out what show are we going to make. And they had a bunch of people pitch ideas. And they end up hiring these two guys. I want to make sure I get their names right. The showrunners. You have, I'm looking for their names. Somewhere in here I lost it. Uh, Okay. Payne and McKay are their last names. So these two guys who have zero film credits, like one had done an unproduced, uncredited writing and and um, just very unlikely choices, very green guys. But I did some digging on mm. them. Apparently they're working with J.J. Abrams on a Star Trek film that hasn't been produced yet, but apparently he gave them a little help. And apparently their pitch was really good about going into the going into the second age as the topic for the show to be like essentially a a prequel of sorts yeah and it's interesting from a prequel perspective where we are thousands of years in the past from Mm -hmm. the lord of the rings world that we're familiar with from the movies and I think that's going to help it not have the same degree of prequel problems that we see in things like Star Wars oh, yeah. that, right, the Star Wars prequels were very confined by certain events that really had to happen because mm-hmm. they lead right into episodes four, five, and six. And we also have House of the Dragon, like you mentioned earlier, and I, you, you can see them, they're doing a great job of it, but you can see them trying to navigate around some some of the right, things. They're only 200 years up. before. <laughs> right. Yeah, and with characters that are pretty direct, um, a direct line to some very important characters in terms of the Targaryens, but mm. I digress. Uh, point is, I think that saying it thousands of years in the past, in a, in a time that's very unfamiliar to everyone but the most Tolkien scholarly of the fans of the Lord of the Rings is a great choice. Yeah. And it's what's amazing about the world of Middle Earth and uh, Tolkien's expand universe, for lack of a better way of describing it, it or his, uh, his legendaria, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. Uh, so then... Shout out to Legendary Podcast. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so the benefit of that is we can still go all the way back. And then we have these familiar characters like Galadriel, uh, Elrond. Sauron. So it's Sauron, of course. Elrond. And, and possibly others, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. it is interesting. It's a great balance. I understand why this pitch was so popular among among Bezos and his cronies, so <laughs> I, <laughs> for sure. Be- Bezos taking some shots on our pod today. <laughs> he can handle yeah, it. I, but yeah, he he definitely can, and I, I don't think he's listening. But they can sponsor, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, if Amazon Prime wants to sponsor the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, I promise we'll suddenly grow a lot kinder to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Daddy Bezos <laughs> get a little allowance time. money. Come on, it would be a pittance to what they spent <laughs> right? on on yeah, all this other exactly. fantasy content. Audible, Change it's a natural acquisition, honestly. <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, point being, it, it is interesting 
that they grab these two guys who don't have a lot of experience. You'd think they'd want to go very safe mm-hmm. with something like this. I mean, you're, if I was putting a billion of my dollars down, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, which I'll have once we get sponsored by Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. then I would want to do something extremely safe. I would right. want to pick people who have a lot of experience. So it's it's pretty shocking to me. They must have really given the hearts out. Right. And a lot of what I've seen is there's a lot of creative freedom for these particular shows and like the composers and even a lot of the actors are actors I've never seen before. So I do like the idea of getting some fresh talent involved. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the best way because when you think of like even to go back to Star Wars, like that original film, that was all fresh talent and it just kicked off this whole new thing. So I'm all for it and I'm kind of surprised as well, Dylan, you'd think a billion dollars, you want to play it safe, but I'm okay with it. And I think they've done a good job. I I think their pitch of exploring the second age, which is mentioned in the prologue of the Lord of the Rings films of like the last alliance of men and elves and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. it it, it is creatively liberating, but also is able to invoke a lot of the stuff we like about the movies, to your point. And like, we've like talked about it before about Star Wars and how you can kind of become creatively bankrupt when it's like, okay, you want to do an Obi-Wan show, but he can't do this because he's got to end up here in this movie. And it's very, there's not a lot of breathing room there. But with this, you're able to go back 2,000 years. That opens up a whole new cast of characters. So super excited to get into this whole new world. And the fact that we have like familiar faces like Galadriel, Elrond, Sauron. It's like a really sensible blend of the familiar with a whole yeah. new narrative. And the story can go anywhere. It, it, that's the thing I like about it. It's like, yeah, we know in... Like we know when we know the story of Lord of the Rings a thousand years later, but the story now with these characters could go in any direction. So, super excited about all of that. You know, it's interesting, Dylan. I've I've read articles where David Benioff and DB Weiss, the creators oh, of Game really? of Thrones, were in discussions for doing some Lord of the Rings stuff. I mean, at the time mm-hmm. they were holding court with everyone, right? With Star Wars and yeah, and Star Amazon. Wars. They eventually like baited disney to land a deal at netflix i don't even know what happened to that deal but um it's it's kind of persona non grata in a lot of areas after the way game (laughs) of thrones ended which i mean yeah charles i know you and i Mm. we we also have some negative thoughts on the end of game of thrones but we feel pretty positive about what Benioff and Weiss were able to do for oh, yeah. years and years. Like, they clearly showed... I would have watched that, that like an Weiss, Lord now. of the Rings vehicle, absolutely. Yeah, they just... I get why they the didn't go that way. Though, like, I'm yeah. fine with them not being involved, don't get me wrong. Right. It's just kind of fascinating yeah. that they were, at one point, involved. I don't think they would have ever been serious, though. I think they were just trying to... You know, those negotiations they did back in those days... I, kind of sneaky but they made some i don't know how much of it they ended up walking away with but they had some big deal with star wars right yeah but they bailed on it to do netflix so and then i don't even know what happened to that deal i haven't been keeping up with our friends benioff and weiss but i should because that, that was a fascinating time um 
but yeah, it's the age of prequel fantasy tentpole shows. And <laughs> what's is. fascinating, what they also have in common, besides being prequels the and coming out around the same time, exactly, <laughs> is that they both are just record smashers for views. House of the Dragon on H- HBO's biggest debut for a TV show in HBO history. Yeah. And now you back have... Back to back 10 million ring, plus. 10 like, million plus. The, Rings of yeah, Power is reporting 25 million, but I'm, I'm sure they're counting episodes one and two, which doubles, the, which inflates the data, you know? So we got 20 million views. So when you release two episodes at once, that's 10 million people watching two episodes. So We know that game. We used to do three <laughs> episodes a week. Exactly. <laughs> we do know that game. So, and more power to them. I, I was glad to have two. So... I mean, just absolutely crazy time for fantasy television. The money spent is out of control. The viewership is out of control. It's just a wild, wild time. And here we are. Like, one of the things, like, and let, let's just dive into the episode because one of the things right away with episode one that you see that I just loved was the sound and the mm-hmm. look. I was just immediately stunned because you're like, okay, this is. Every episode of the show has like a full movie produce production budget, hundred million dollars maybe per episode, right. and you're like, or ten million plus, and you're like, still, when you compare it to something like Game of Thrones, which also has a big budget, it it sticks out. They did a really good job of like bridging that, like making it feel like an extension of Peter Jackson's movies while also being a new thing i thought it looked fantastic yeah i totally agree i know people there's some mixed reactions to this show but the one thing that everyone seems to be on the same page about is it's absolutely gorgeous and you just there's scenes that you just don't see Mm -hmm. on tv they're just uh, i feel like there's no precedent I mean, this is jumping to the second episode a little bit, but mm-hmm. there's yeah. that scene with the sea monster. Oh, in yeah. The second episode, just like, you don't see anything like this on television. This is unprecedented. And I, I don't know. There's scenes that could be kind of boring in a lot of shows that just the way that they look and it's so visceral and the sound, they just hit you in a totally different way, right? Uh, Galadriel just kind of swimming and the sea monster. That could be boring in a fantasy show that doesn't have a budget like this. But mm-hmm. it was so entertaining to watch it in this like cinematic experience that you get. And it's just so expensive. I mean, they're taking like us all over the world. We're, we've got like a Shire-like place. We've got villages, mountains, mm-hmm. caverns, forests. Like I feel like House of the Dragon, they have a couple really great sets and they're keeping us kind of contained in King's Landing for the most part, which nothing wrong with that. Lord of the Rings is like, let's go all over the world. And just nothing beats filming on location for me. Like studios are great, sets are great, but on location, especially when you're filming in a place as beautiful as New Zealand is like mm-hmm. next level. And you could tell right away when they were filming on location and it was insanely beautiful i i mean i was totally enraptured like the scene where the guys with the backpacks with like the huge moose antlers and they're walking (laughs) on the mountains and then you've got a little like not hobbit but not hobbit heads popping up looking around you and of course there's a huge tracking shot of the mountains as you do this is gorgeous even though the scene is very simple the fact they took you to this beautiful location to film it in it's it's enrapturing 
Yeah, this is an experience I've never had before watching a show where I'm usually very character focused mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of stuff. But I'll just kind of while scenes are going out on, I just find myself looking at the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have you found yourself doing that at all, Charles? Oh, like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, there's people in the foreground. Like, I was having an important conversation. Entertained right by the production value more than the story or the right. characters by a long shot, and we can get more into that. But I was like, man. Those are real mountains. That's a real, like, plane. That's really a location. It looks fake. It's so nice. It's <laughs> like, it looks, I mean, obviously it looks very real, but it looks almost like, I, I can't believe those things exist. It's exactly. And when you humble. accompany that with, like, a real score, that's another thing that I cannot praise enough. I feel like so much now with movies and TV, people kind of phone in the music and we just have kind of mm-hmm. lost the beauty of like the the score and in this obviously a huge part of lord of the rings was the music which was composed by howard shore which is absolutely incredible i mean a thousand big tempo movies have come out since then and like all those marvel movies the music is not good sorry but the like the movies <laughs> are great but the sound is horrible and or just not interesting like it's serviceable but and and even in House of the Dragon. There's some great themes, but it's all mostly on the on the shoulders it's of like that this. Game of Thrones yeah. theme, and I don't feel like they've really gotten past that. But in this show, oh my gosh, the music yeah, is Yeah, they're incredible. picking out the nostalgia with House of the Dragon, but yeah, here they yeah. are willing to... They, it's the same thing they're doing way. visually, where they invoke the movies, but go their own way. And, of course, they have Howard Shore, who wrote the who composed all the movies and he developed musical themes uh, but not and and the theme song but not actually composing the episodes you have and I got his name his name is Bear McCreary uh, and he did an excellent job he said the main theme was created independently of the score but he did his job to combine the two and also the movies were a huge influence he calls it a continuity of concept and you have a 90 piece orchestra and a 40 person choir making the score for this movie it's i'll be watching and the characters are talking and i'm not even like even though it feels like a movie and yeah oh yeah tv show and like the characters will be talking and i'm not even i'm like listening to them i'm like oh my god when was the last time i watched a show or a movie that has this full 90 piece orchestra playing its heart out Mm -hmm. It, it almost like pulled me in more than the dialogue for the characters i'm like forget the characters just show me more of new zealand and keep that score pumping like i don't need and maybe if they're fighting that's cool but i don't need to see i don't need to like hear what they're talking about so much like just (laughs) show me the rest of this and that's all i have to say about the production it's just like the, the the orchestra was so refreshing and i loved listening to it I'm with you. And it goes to show, Charles, we usually, in these episodes, we usually dive right into the plot, the Mm -hmm. characters, the themes. But we are about, we're over 20 minutes into this episode, and we're still focused on things that are more relevant to the production Mm -hmm. of the show. And I think that that is telling about the show and what sticks out about Mm -hmm. the strengths of the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that they've gotten over a billion dollar commitment to this thing and you can see where a lot of that money went right they're trying to 
make this thing look and sound absolutely gorgeous Mm -hmm. and they succeeded it's a triumph in terms of separating itself from all other fantasy tv in those senses so if those are things that you are like are high priority for you when watching a show then it's going to be an absolutely great fit for you Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we can we can dive into more about the Let's do it. the plot, the dialogue, the characters, all that stuff uh, now. Right. And I think this is where you find more of those mixed reactions mm-hmm. to the show. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's well said, Dylan. Because the production, no one's debating that this is an incredible feat of TV production. And nowhere has it gotten the kind of budget and creative license to just make a show it's almost like uh daddy bezos wrote a blank check and it's like go make now he's daddy <laughs> he went from papa to daddy papa daddy bezos is it just that you see a bald man and it's like an instant father figure don't point that Charles psychology like... lens at me dylan i'm not interested don't try don't play your psychology games with me <laughs> they just happen to be two bald people okay <laughs> yep but you happen to be uh, calling both of them i i mean i've never heard i you don't call, call my real dad daddy, daddy at all it's all that's reserved <laughs> that for alarming. that's reserved for bezos <laughs> right papa that's bezos goes here and then papa john's that's that's it and here's your papa john's and you say papa gwit Oh, Papa Gwyn, yes. Gwyn. Papa Gwyn, of course. Yeah. Papa Gwyn. Okay, so there's, that's from there's the Trinity friends, of Papa. Uh, the Brothers Gwyn. Yeah, so it's the Trinity the of Papa. It's, it's Papa Bezos, Papa John, and Papa Gwyn. What a <laughs> motley crew. Like, what a, out, is there a real Papa John's? Is there a person who is there Papa John? There is a John? Papa John, yeah. I mean, he was okay, the one that so was put... swept in all that controversy and stuff, but he's the funny guy. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I want to get started oh, Google with whatever the controversy was. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, I mean, if you put those three in a room together, is there the stories? They is there could any tell. common ground? The stories they well, could yeah. tell. Sure, great stories, but I'm like, you know, you got John Gwynn, like family man, into like reenactment, all this stuff. You got Bezos, just pure money hungry, <laughs> like corporate, like, right? The guys just all like evil man wearing a suit and then papa john's i don't know about the controversy but uh pizza empire yeah, i don't know what he's like pizza he, empire yeah, yeah if you imagine like an italian pizza empire guy you probably get pretty close to his appearance but yeah. uh anyway it's quite the trinity quite the group and joe domino's <laughs> Okay, sorry. Go. Go. But anyway, we're talking about Ring of Power right now. Papa Bezos, yes. blank check. Um, so no one's the no one's disputing the quality of the show in terms of its production. Um, some people, you know, we can, we can get into the episode now. Like again, we're it's a prequel, which we're used to now with Game of Thrones, with House of the Dragon, and all this stuff going on with Star Wars, and now here we are with the Lord of the Rings prequel i guess you could argue the hobbit was technically a prequel too but whatever this totally is separate and that's what i like about it it takes place with you know there's the dark lord morgoth and um you have gladriel's brother finrod who's like dedicated to fighting morgoth and defeated him but then died searching for sauron and now gladriel's 
vowed to pursue this with everything she's got. And that kind of is the kickoff for the whole show. And I think a lot of the... Um, well, there's two sources of criticism for the show. And I, and I think the one valid source of criticism, people argue against... A lot of people are saying calling it the pacing. I'm okay with hmm. the pacing being slow. For me, it's the um, it's the storytelling. Uh, it's creating an actual story that, for me, kind of suffers a bit with the epic scale of of um, a production like this. It's like okay, you still have to tell a really compelling story with really compelling characters, and I not sure we're there two episodes in but i that doesn't mean we can't get there soon you know i it, it, i don't know what your take on it is dylan but i i was kind of a bit i was wowed and dazzled by what i was seeing but then underwhelmed by what people were actually saying and doing i was, I was like i don't yeah whatever <laughs> i agree mm-hmm. and i i will say i enjoyed the second episode substantially more yeah. than the first episode Mm -hmm. and part of that is the first episode it feels like we're just kind of viewpoint hopping and then having this like intro to each of these different characters to some extent and their little worlds and and this is very lord of the rings tolkien that there's such vastly different peoples Mm -hmm. that are inhabiting these different areas and their cultures are so different you know tolkien loved Mm -hmm that element of things but i just remember getting through the first episode and i was like i liked it i'm gonna continue with this but i'm also like what happened like what things actually happened <laughs> and i was thinking not a lot and i was having trouble getting really grounded in each character's plight mm-hmm. like it felt like most of them were kind of just typical things that you've seen a, a million times right you've got the the plucky harfoots where nori is yearning for an adventure mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. everyone's like oh nori like we harfoots we don't go on adventures <laughs> it's like where have we seen that before <laughs> exactly the hobbit and the lord of the rings it's <laughs> like uh, and i understand you have to evoke some of that Hobbit pluckiness in a Lord of the Rings thing, or you're you're not mm-hmm. doing it right, of course. But uh, you know, you're jumping from that. And you're like, okay, I've seen this before. Suddenly, we're like, we're with uh, Aaron Deer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he's sure. the the elf who's got the love for. He's in love with this uh, single mother human, mm-hmm. and it's kind of okay. A little this forbidden love trope that we're getting like yeah um am i really invested in them i'm like i haven't seen any build-up to why they love each other or what's going on here so i wasn't super into that either and then we get uh galadriel is like okay yeah vengeance for your brother it's like (laughs) we've definitely seen that before too it's nice that she cares about sauron but then i guess this is the pacing issue it's like she kind of spends that first episode going like, oh, yeah, like, I want to find Sara. And everyone's like, well, no, we don't want to do that. So then she goes back to uh, where the elves are in Middle-earth. And then it's like, oh, don't do that. And then it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to go out west. 
And then she's like, actually, I don't want to do that. I want to go look for Sauron again. So she jumps in the ocean. And it's like, yeah. nothing happened in our main character's arc. She kind of went back to where she was at the start and just has less people around her. Yeah, I agree. I, and we, the Galadriel arc, we can talk, let's talk about Galadriel specifically and we'll kind of yeah. hop around. Because this was the one that was obviously the spotlight. She's definitely one of the stars of the cast, leading cast member. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's the one actually searching for Sauron, which of course is going to be a driving force of the series. But I agree, Dylan. We, she's all over the place and her character development is lacking. And he, he, I think the challenge is unlike Game of Thrones, which is very modern fantasy, you're looking at a show. It's like, how do you write a traditional high fantasy story? For modern audiences, it's a hard bridge to gap mm-hmm. because you have these characters that are so good and hard perfect. gap to bridge. <laughs> a, yeah, <laughs> gap to bridge. Thank you. Hard bridge to gap. <laughs> <laughs> but you have um, you have um, these characters who are like pure good, epically good at everything. Like only knows the yeah. right thing. It, it's hard to build up a motivation for them when they're literally like angelic beings on the on the in the world so how do you do character work when your character is the closest thing to an angel that could exist in in middle earth it's kind of hard and i think with galadriel they suffered a little bit like they showed her getting teased and bullied as a kid and they showed the brother a little bit but you know we, we talked about before the show how she just you know with her she's with her crew searching for clues of sauron and everyone's being like we have to leave we're all leaving now and then they get attacked by a troll and she just one shots it and and then finds the thing and she's like i proved you all wrong and i killed this troll single-handedly in two seconds and then it's like right okay i guess like i would have loved to have seen more of this troll attack but i i, I guess you're you're a badass and that's fine but I, i'm you know, I'm left being kind of underwhelmed. And this was the same, like, for example, I watched recently the movie um, Prey on Hulu, which is that um, Predator movie, but it's yeah. the lead cast member is this Native American woman who takes on the Predator. And that is a great example of how someone, like, progresses and develops skills and develops conflict and is actually able to take on a Predator with like 1700s level technology and she got the crap kicked out of her and all this other stuff. Galadriel's just killing trolls right off the gate with no problem and bossing everyone around, even bossing the king around. And that was the thing about the king that bothered me too is we don't understand why the king is so determined to not pursue Sauron really and why Galadriel's the only person in all of elf kind who cares about Sauron? I felt like that was a little pigeonhole. Like she needs to be the only voice of reason in this whole world. I, I'm, I don't know. I think they just relied on that a little too heavily, and the character of Galadriel kind of was a bit tropey and pigeonholed as a result of this. Like I'm great at everything, and I'm right, and I'm convicted, and nothing is done because my brother died. And it's like okay, 
<laughs> like whatever. It's like no one else lost a brother. <laughs> it's like every like she there's that scene where she's just stacking the helmet on all these other helmets, yeah, exactly. and it's like I, I feel like a lot of people lost some siblings in this mix. <laughs> like you'd think there would be at least a few other elves that are like United you know I cause. too feel this sense of of wanting revenge and they're like we won we found nothing for a hundred years we won it's like (laughs) what what happened that made you think you won if anything you found clues that there's more work to do so and you can maybe say the king is just trying to suppress that to keep the peace which i don't think that was explored too much there was some dialogue where he's like things are good and they've been good for a long time why why Shake the tree. Rock when, the boat. Yeah, why rock the Shake boat? The tree, yeah, right. <laughs> I, rock the boat is a better example. Why rock the boat when you could sail west into yeah. Valinor? Plus, it has some of that sailing west yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, I, I rock said the sail boat. west to Valinor, where yeah. they can live an eternal life in peace. So it's like, wow, I, I'm telling you. That does sound nice. It Doesn't it sound great? <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert for Lord of the Rings, but that was kind of the end goal for for that movie too it's like sailing into the west it's a big deal and she right at the first episode had the opportunity to do that uh but she had unfinished business uh, which sailing against the current i guess i like you said dylan i find it so hard to believe she'd be the only one and and as much as the show took its time showing us everybody and not really identifying like the driving force of the plot which is great which is fine House of the Dragon is just as slow pacing wise. I think we're we're two episodes in, and I don't know, and like not too much has happened. Like we don't really uh, know what the inciting incident is going to be yet. Like we know it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. This is slower, but not yeah, that much well, slower. I I don't think. I kind of disagree, but we will. Okay, you're, you're, let's hear it. <laughs> well, yeah, I just think that it's a lot clearer the direction that the show is going with House of the Dragon, even from the first episode. Mm. Uh, the table's set, and you see where the tension is, and there's multiple facets to which characters are moving in which ways. And it's like, everything's established, even if we haven't really had the, like, uh, for our uh, clean rating, I'll say the crap hit the fan yet <laughs> in that show. Mm. You know what everyone wants. You know where everyone's kind of trying to move in House of the Dragon. And then in at least one episode in, besides Galadriel's like, I want to fight Sauron. It's like, what is even going on with most of these characters? Right. I, and I'll also say a thing that I, this is maybe more relevant to our conversation about oh. the rings of power and compare and contrasting it with house of the dragon which inevitably like everyone's doing how can right you now, not they're coming out at the same with time with it's like a direct out. competition yeah i will say that house of the dragon i think it's just got it's got a lot more how do you say this uh it's got a lot more things that are happening that are water cooler talk the next day. That's yeah. how I feel, right? Mm-hmm. And say what you want about the... I won't get into spoilers of what exactly happens here, but there's a, a birthing scene that I'd be shocked if you're listening to this podcast uh, and you haven't 
at least heard of that birthing scene in House of the Dragon that was very controversial. Say what you want about it, right? I think there's yeah. a lot of valid opinions all across the board about it, but everyone was talking about that mm-hmm. the next day. And this political right? intrigue, had you know, opinion. you've got lines of and, secession and claims to thrones and things like that, yeah. which, what's the intrigue here? It's like, obviously Sauron is alive and doing evil things. Like, right. Galadriel's right. We know this. This is not a, a controversy. But it's like, man, wasn't that cool when she one-shotted that troll? Or, I mean, there were some cool things that happened, but it's not the same amount of character no. work that has been done with the characters in another show like you know, House of the Dragon, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, no. you were talking about... Um, you were talking about the other uh, elf, what is his name? Uh, Arendir, and his relationship with the human yeah. healer... Bronwyn? B-R-O-N-W-Y-N? Bronwyn? and Bronwyn. I mean, that's also what a trope you can recognize of, like, the elves are not exactly appreciated by humankind at this stage, and um, there's this kind of forbidden love thing brewing, uh, which you're like, okay, and he's another one who's kind of prejudice against him but he's gonna go against the grain anyway it's like okay um yeah. that's fine it's not exactly romeo and julia no. over there it's no. not quite at that still, they have unspoken level. feelings it's, for each other right and they got sure. to that point towards the end where it's like why are you here and it's like hey, we'll talk about it later <laughs> you know it's like they had that almost <laughs> moment to have that the talk but they uh chose not to and we'll talk <laughs> so whatever he and then you have the kind of interesting thing with the healer's son who found the broken sword bearing sauron's mark which is kind of interesting and then you had that orc attack which was kind of cool the the that i had to check the credits because i've never seen an orc like that in my life so i looked at the casting credits it's called a digger orc Digger Interesting. Orc. I just love the mask. I was yeah. like, that's so creepy. And the fact that it had like longer was like, arms was kind of creepy too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It had that scene where you, I, I feel like that's a cool kind of scene. We've seen that before, but where like someone's like hiding in the closet and they can kind of see yeah. parts mm-hmm. of the, you know, the creature yeah. or whatever. Because I think this is just an, a kind of monster trope in horror yeah. movies mm-hmm. and stuff too but one that works trope i don't mean it as a bad right. thing inherent no it was it's, shot well that tropes exist for a reason one that works really well is you know once you see the full monster mm-hmm. it's actually less scary no matter how creepy the thing looks right. than it is when you're just <laughs> catching pieces of it like i think of cloverfield right yeah, it, yeah, did yeah. you watch it yeah the original one i know you've seen ten uh, the one with lane. uh was it 10 cloverfield lane that one's amazing yeah, that's great, better than the original cloverfield like john goodman <laughs> it's so good but there's in the original one it's like shaky camera style it was one of the first ones to start using that and you would just catch bits and pieces of what the monster is looking like for almost the whole movie and that made it way way more scary than when you see the whole thing i think that's just monsters in general and they 
I love how they played that. Like she's just looking through a sliver and then you see those like almost talon, like spindly arms. And then still, even when she gets out, it's like wearing the mask. So you still don't completely know what it looks like. And I'm like, that is freaky. Yeah. The score was great. So score was great. Well shot. That was one of my favorites. They're not fighters and they're taking on an orc. Yes. Two against one. They took some shots. (laughs) That that kid got wrecked pretty good. And yeah. um, you know, they got a couple of good stabs in and the orc was still going strong. You know, it was a battle. Yeah. It was a close one. So that was a well-composed scene. Yes. And I think it's a great one now that we're talking about how they took a few hits and stuff to contrast why it worked a lot better than the Galadriel first scene of the, the snow, snow troll, troll. Right? Because it is... It's just boring when someone goes up and they're just like, look at me, I'm a badass. And Galadriel, just like you said, kills the troll in two seconds. And all it it serves to do is it just makes her look almost overpowered where it takes away the stakes. Right. And it also makes the, you know, it makes all her elf companions just look like losers and the <laughs> snow troll kind of look non-threatening mm-hmm. and all of that meanwhile you take this obviously way weaker smaller creature in this digger orc and you make it kind of a mismatch for the people who are not fighters around it and you make it this scene where you know everyone feels like they're really fighting for their life and people are actually taking hits and it's much easier to ground yourself in a character that is struggling and the tension's so much higher. Right. And it's such a less powerful creature that they're taking exactly. on. Exactly. But it seems more threatening than the snow troll ever did. Exactly. So that, that was a brilliantly done scene. And Agreed. Much, it was a great matchup and a great well-shot scene. And then you have the scene where she's dropping the head yeah. in front of everyone in the bar and being like time to move it's like okay now that is a boss move like Badass. yes yeah. sure Gladriel is a boss too but she didn't do anything even though all of her accomplishments are at a much higher scale than killing one orc the amount of badassery going on is way higher with this human healer yeah. than it was with Gladriel because of the the struggle that she did and then the fact that she was able to command that kind of respect in the room with just a mic drop but in this case it's an orc head and drop. oh yeah <laughs> and, and she's like let's go so that was a fun inciting incident and i have to say like those early early scenes in the first episode where um gladio's brother finrod is fighting the orcs such a cool scene. It's, I want to see more orc battles. Those practical effects bring me back to the movies. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't recreate that digitally. So to see like practical effect orcs fighting a guy, even if it was for like two seconds, I was like, ooh, I want more of that. More, please. More, please. And we got a little bit of that in the second episode with the digger orc. And I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get way more. So super excited about that. Um, the other characters I wanted to make sure we talked about were our two um, Hobbit-like fellows, Harfoots, I guess they're called, um, Nori, yeah. Brandyfoot, and Poppy Proudfellow, um, who, <laughs> like you were talking about in the beginning, it's like, don't you want to see what else is out there? No, absolutely not. We stay here. It's what we <laughs> yeah. do. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, fine. <laughs> That's where some of the dialogue was not the strongest. So and I think she was talking to her mom, I think it was. 
about how she wants Nori was, to, how she wants to go on an adventure. And the mom just goes through, and she's like, the elves have to deal with this problem, and the dwarves have to deal with this problem, and the men have to deal with this problem, you know? Like, she goes through each of the different plights of all the, like, different main races of right. uh, of Middle-earth. And I'm like, who would ever talk like that <laughs> like who would be like oh god like i need to get in every single race is like it felt very yeah. uh, for lack of it was like <laughs> you can't be small you know mi- simple-minded humble creatures and also right. knowledgeable of every race <laughs> like exactly uh, it was a <laughs> yeah and it just felt very like for lack of a better word it felt very much like a script mm. it's like not like two characters talking about things in the way they would so much of this was so dialogue heavy with lore stuff and and yeah like we're in this age and these characters and these characters and this (laughs) made up word and that made up word and you know i'm like oh this dialogue's kind of kind of clunky a lot of time and then there's a lot of this voiceover stuff it's like and then there was this age where these people did these things and you're like Okay, cool. Um, let's get back to the stuff because this is an interesting like group of people. It's like the precursor to hobbits. You know, you're two thousand years Which before, is, yeah, and you kind of so hobbits just don't exist in this age. Is what's going on, I'm, Charles? I, I am not as well brushed up on the lore as I'm sure many of our listeners are, but I believe so. These are like the precursors to hobbits. Is my my guess because they have the hairy i mean if there were hobbits you have to think the hobbits would be featured in this show i just can't imagine lord of the rings passing up amazon passing up the opportunity to have hobbits if they could have justified it without pissing off all (laughs) all the tolkien fans right and i think this is their way of doing that It, it definitely had that vibe and there's a lot of They're fun stuff you distinguishable from hobbits for the average viewer, basically. Exactly. And to if, me, they might as well be. You hobbits. could even play up the fact that they're like the precursor to hobbits, and maybe they're more like uh, not coming up with the right word, but maybe they're more like wild or naive or primitive or whatever. And sure. they could have that idea of like we are lucky to be alive anything can kill us <laughs> anything so we have right. to stick together and you know you could have had those stakes like they're hiding from the moose guys and that's you know fine but not a real threat and then there was a wolf that they were like oop there's a wolf let's walk away but there were some opportunities there to be like if we don't stick together like all we can do is survive because we're such a um weaker smaller or race what we have is our community and then to have someone that wants to go against that would be a kind of a big deal but the way they go about it it's like oh you went past the the perimeter and almost got eaten by a a wolf and then oh you were not helping your father and he twisted his ankle it's like who like who cares? cares? You tell me she was going to be able to hold up that giant pole by herself like one more person would have made the difference there like and you're trying to tell me that that's something that's interesting that I should care about? Like, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is not interesting. Well, <laughs> like, who cares about her dad's even... ankle? <laughs> and and like, we don't even know that character. It's like, all. can he walk? That's it's like, who cares? Like... Who cares if he can walk or not? Like, not me. <laughs> I just think, that, and that's something that I think this show, especially in the first episode, struggles some with. It's just, it wants you to 
care about characters that it just has not really given you enough of their story their plight Mm -hmm. to actually get you invested in them like it just wants you to care that this character i'm like uh, like i barely recognized that that was her dad until they were like hey nori like your dad hurt his ankle and it's like oh yeah okay (laughs) it's like (laughs) i don't really care that much about nori's dad i'm just starting to care about nori right you know and it's it's tough and I, I think you make a great point and one that I didn't really think about before you were talking about it was this idea that you could have done a much better job of showing how vulnerable the the Harfoots are right. and how in this this world with snow trolls and orcs and all this stuff that even a person is such a huge threat. Right. Even a human is such a huge threat to these small folk where, I mean, even something like instead of just catching a glimpse of a wolf, like even just a dog, right? Even just yeah. a normal sized dog, if it had a bad disposition, right. could be a huge threat yeah. to these hard Or folks. even like our whole and thing just is had that, a scene. Right. And we keep ourselves secret, right? So if you go out into the world right. and people realize that you're a species that exists, you put everyone else in risk too it's yeah. like are you going to risk the whole tribe for your dreams of adventure like i don't think that that's really yeah. been weighed on the character at all um no and it's a great point because it's like i just found myself in this typical like oh my like everyone is telling this person not to go on an adventure they want to go on an adventure they should just go on an adventure exactly, exactly. and this is what they're going to do anyway. And exactly. I actually want these people to stop annoying Nori <laughs> about not going on adventures. Just let her go. Right. And meanwhile, if all those things you were talking about that are very true motivations for the Harfoots were explored more in depth, mm-hmm. then it would feel more like there's a conflict, conflict <laughs> yeah. there, which is the root of good story. Right. And we'd also get this moment when she meets the stranger where we'd be like, oh, wow, she's taking a huge risk by by meeting and trying to help this meteor man. And <laughs> that's M-E-T-E-O-R, not M-E-A-T-I-E-R. <laughs> this meteor space man. man. Space <laughs> so, meteor man. Space man. <laughs> the, yeah, this guy coming in. And we'll definitely talk more about the, the stranger mm-hmm. um, at, at some point in this episode but yeah it just i don't know it could feel like there's so much more at stake than than there seems to be it almost feels like they phoned in that conflict for right and it's character. weaved in with four other character arcs across vast settings it's yeah. a lot to take in and i do think that's where this particular arc kind of falls flat it's so like you said Dylan, when you know what the character is going to do anyway and you just want them to do it and there's not a good enough reason to not do it it just becomes like annoying and delaying the inevitable like we want to see some progress here things do get spicy when the stranger crash lands uh near their near their village and these two uh harfoots decide to kind of help this person a secretively like against probably the what the tribe would want them to do um the stranger very interesting character he's doesn't speak the native tongue really he's got 
magic powers. He's not in control of his, like, like when he gets upset or frustrated or angry, the power just comes out of him. You know, he's a very volatile individual. Yeah. And uh, the question is, who is the stranger? Right. And I am not a Tolkien scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but... When I first saw The Stranger and I first saw him actually interact, I was like, this has to be Gandalf. Mm. I was thinking that. I was like, how could this not be Gandalf? And then I, you know, did a little bit of research and I'm seeing, okay, we're in the second age. By the book Tolkien lore, Gandalf shouldn't be around until the third age, if I'm correct. And people are saying, so it, it can't be Gandalf. I... Still, kind of think it's Gandalf. Right. Um, I went through the exact same thought process as I was watching. I'm like, oh, that's Gandalf, and it explains why he has such an affinity towards hobbits and all this other stuff. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to see a Gandalf who was just created and isn't in control of his faculties yet. Like, that's a cool way to introduce Gandalf. But of course, the lore is makes that impossible. But you know, we were talking about it before the show. It's like that's not going to stop these showrunners from putting Gandalf in the show. You know, they have a yeah. billion dollar investment <laughs> they need to protect. You're going to tell me they can't put Gandalf in their own show? They bought the rights to Lord of the Rings. They could put right. Gandalf wherever they want. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like you think Jeff. Papa Bezos, you think Papa Bezos is like, no, we have to keep this true to the lore. Even if it's going to cost us money as Amazon Prime, the sanctity of Tolkien's legendaria is worth more to me, Jeff Bezos, than is like than is the potentially millions upon millions of more dollars we could make if we include like the most... Right. Maybe not the most recognizable, but maybe the most recognizable character from sure. the Lord of the Rings franchise. I, right? I just picture I mean, the I'm writers who else would right? be. You have the showrunners, the writers, you have a token lore expert sitting in consulting. They're like, <laughs> okay, and we're going to do this and this. And then Bezos just walks in, like interrupting. The, they're like midway through plotting the episode. And he just sits down and like, so where are we at? And they catch him up and he's like, well, let's put Gandalf in there. And the lore expert's like, oh, sir, Gandalf doesn't appear until the third age. Pushes up their glasses. <laughs> and then he just plops down $200 million. Like, are you sure there's no way Gandalf could <laughs> fall out of the sky from space and make a nice yeah. cameo in our billion dollar Lord of the Rings second age TV show? And he's like, right. uh, I guess we could make it work somehow (laughs) don't tell me that's not what happened that's the lore in my head and uh, I'm okay with Gandalf coming like the lore is great and all that but we don't need it if it's gonna you know I want to see the best story possible Gandalf would be a cool guy to see but it could be someone else. It, but what if the reveal was like, oh, it's some random other guy that's like Gandalf, but not Gandalf that yeah, we've never seen before. It's like, that's just kind of disappointing. You know? I agree. Yeah. And, okay, of those, what'd you say, 25 million people who watched this premiere <laughs> exactly. of two episodes? Or what, probably half 12 that and a half people. million yeah. who watched, yeah, mm-hmm. who watched both episodes. Whatever. Point being... What percentage of them even have gone to this point where they looked it up and they were like, oh, actually, it's not supposed to be Gandalf. Uh, It's supposed to because 
there's only two ages that have gone by, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I think even that's a small percentage. And then we go to an even smaller percentage. Sorry, like big Tolkien fans, but you're a much smaller percentage (laughs) here that actually care enough about the fact that Gandalf shouldn't come until the third age Mm -hmm. uh, where they would be upset that this is Gandalf. Right. Tiny fraction of the 12 and a half million folks or whatever who are watching this. And I'm sorry, Bezos and Amazon Prime, they just don't (laughs) care that much about what you think. (laughs) Like, they really don't. They need to recoup their billion dollars. (laughs) Right. Like they do that with, and it's some stranger from the lore. (laughs) That's the reveal. It's like, it's like okay. it just turns out that those that history but we knew about. I was Gandalf thinking of alternatives though. It could be and Saruman. It could be Sauron. What if it's Sauron? You know, experiment gone wrong, spiral out of control. Like, sure. I, here's what I think: Sauron can be interesting. Gandalf is our you know Vegas mm. odds leader. He's my of lead. Who sure, it's going to sure, be? Sure. Right, Saruman just. Doesn't really do it for me here. Radagast like, I just the Brown. Don't find that as <laughs> what's that? Radagast the Brown for you uh, uh, lore fans. He's like a Gandalf type. Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Tom Bombadil could be is Tommy like a deep, <laughs> a deep cut. Like if you if you put down some money on Tom Bombadil in Vegas, and it turns out it is Tom Bombadil, you're making bet because yeah, he's a deep cut underdog, <laughs> dark horse in this mix. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, that's a possibility, but I do think that it's way more likely it's it's Gandalf or Sauron. That's my big guess. And if I, I really think it's Gandalf. Me too. And Sauron would be interesting and just different because you can kind. Of, he seems like he's supposed to be a good guy, and, and right? It's, like yeah, he exactly. Came down, and also, it teaches it's like Harfoot the lesson of like, look what you did. You yeah. aided and abetted the Dark Lord Sauron. I don't know if the it show would like go something, there. Yeah, it feels like House of the Dragon would do that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like Rings of Power would do something like that. I think they're probably going to play it more by the book. And it's basically just another version of Gandalf taking a Hobbit-like creature on an adventure. And that is familiar, and that is safe, and that is the kind of thing that you are willing to invest over a billion dollars in. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And speaking of investing a billion dollars, how about those scenes in Casa Doom? Huh? I think the last group mm. of people we need to talk about is Elrond and the dwarf yeah. prince Durin, because mm-hmm. those were the, the the last like big arc is Elrond, right? He the king is having him work with the ringmaker, and they need to power some kind of engine or build an engine or whatever. And it's like, oh, I, I'm buddy buddy with the dwarves let's go there they have what we need and then the dwarf is like where have you been for 20 years i don't like you anymore it, you know and it's kind of interesting to see them go into Kazad doom which we know is the mines of moria from lord right. of the rings right which has been abandoned uh, but it's cool to see it in its prime and uh i, I enjoyed watching like the stone smashing scene scenes like that are always great for character yeah. and lore development like more scenes like that, you could argue, are slow-paced and don't service the plot. But they're great character work, and they're great to show 
what these dwarves value and what they're like and and how they hold up and all of that. So it's just kind of fun to see them cheering. Like all they're doing is smashing a rock and like, yeah, right. smash the rock. <laughs> <They> <laughs> love it. Yeah, it was like one of the better scenes of these two episodes. I totally agree. I love that scene. And I also, when when Elrond went in there, just coming off of knowing what happened to that poor snow troll, right? <laughs> right. Justice, hashtag justice for snow troll. <laughs> justice for the snow troll, huh? Interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. I want justice. It went down way too easy. The so, snow troll's sister is going to go on a vengeance quest yeah. to kill Gladril. It's like, kill remember Gladryl. me? It's like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Right, you killed my snow troll brother. That was like that day changed my life. And Galadriel's like, for me, that was just Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) So I anyway, knowing what happened to the snow troll hashtag justice for snow troll, it's I was like, please don't let let Elrond beat this dwarven prince in a rock smashing contest. It's like. That would betray everything that we're supposed to know about just the Lord of the Rings world. And I was glad that Durin kicked his butt in <laughs> the rocks. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> like, thank you. And he was still raring to go. I was like, I can smash so much more rocks. Like, you have no idea, Elrond. <laughs> but awesome scene. It was so great seeing inside. And I'll also say that I think... This is something I think is one of the cooler things about the Lord of the Rings world where you have these giant age discrepancies and how long the different races live where you can... I like the drama that's caused by that. I like the drama that's caused by Elrond being like, oh, it was just 20 years, bro. Like, <laughs> it's like, like I just saw me. you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and then Durin being like, dude, in the I last 20 years, I got married. You didn't come to the wedding. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I had kids. You've never met them. Mm-hmm. You can't just come back in here because you're this elf who lives ridiculously long and act like that was nothing because that meant a lot to me right. and not seeing you. And he's showing up because he wants stuff. something. And Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so I, I love that. I think that's one of the coolest things that you can play on in these Lord of the Rings worlds is the differences in perspective, especially of time between these different races. So I'm always happy when they start to use that as a way to create drama. It worked extremely well because I was totally I was bought in, especially with Durin's idea of like, dude, you can't just come by here now that you want something and you missed all these things in my life and act like we're still buddy buddy. And I kind of also can see Elrond's perspective where he just can't really understand. Yeah, he's an immortal being. being it's like, right. He's, you know, thousands of years old or he's going to be or whatever. It's like, what's 20 years is like a nap, but it it's a good perspective for him. And you have the wife character who is kind of that, like, come on, she like, was great. You're going to like, get all worked up over nothing it's like your friend is here now let's have a good time stay for dinner all that stuff you know it was some of the best character work is done with these characters because you know the prince is such a fun character to just like you have a stubborn loud guy you know it's just kind of funny and 
you know he evokes some Gimli vibes. Yeah, of course, it's just the dwarf nature, right? You know, it's just the nature of dwarves. And uh, then you have the wife trying to talk some sense, and then you've got Elrond, who's just kind of like this immortal being, not sure what to do from like being polite (laughs) in a social setting at the dinner table. And yeah, it was it was a good time. Yeah, I agree. That was a, that was some of the best character work, and I I thought that uh, what was her name? Let me see if I can find it. Disa. Disa. Yeah. D i s a. Okay, and she just she was a really great actress. I We've felt never like seen she just a like female dwarf took before over. too. So this was quite impressive mm. too. She took over that scene, and I just love her telling the story of how he kept showing up to, like, what was it, like, they were just doing some mining or whatever, and he just kept showing up, and it was beneath his purview, and it's like, and then he came to the next one. And then he came to the one after that. And then he came to the one after that. Just it took five weeks yeah. for him to build up the courage to actually like court me. And he was like, it was two weeks. It was like five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, that's you know, good character work. Laughing it's like character and sitting enjoying, down, having yeah. dinner, talking, having fun. Right. Like, thank you. Can we have more of that, please? Not all this grandstanding conversation back and forth stuff, which is fine, but boring after a while. Um, you know, we, we, we want more. Yeah. It's not just exposition. You don't actually have to know about the world that it took all this time for him to finally court her. But it tells us about these characters and their relationships. And it just feels real and authentic. It's like finally letting the characters and the show breathe that's one of the things that i i feel about this show and hopefully it'll continue to open up and move in that direction the first episode especially there's like no room to breathe for any of these characters right, it right. was just very plot focused exposition right. world this building one we focused. got the rock and, smashing competition the dinner it, right. it helps let your like you said it helps characters breathe so much better when you have scenes and like already, that. Durin is one of the most interesting, likable characters, I mm-hmm. think, in this show. And he's had such little screen time compared to people like Galadriel. He has some actual and... charisma. It's like these classic right. fantasy protagonists. They're not known for their charisma. So it's like, how do you bring that in? Like, sure, Tolkien is about as classic of a source material as you can get. It's like, how do you bring some of that modern character work into a classic telling and i I think scenes like this where the characters just having fun doing their thing help a long ways like can you imagine if we had a scene where uh that the elf aaron deer and the the human healer bronwyn had to like have a meal or like (laughs) have an actual conversation or something yeah it's like imagine how much more we would buy into their relationship if we were able to see some of that uh so yeah, just one of those. And I get that you have sixty characters in sixty locations, so something's got to give. That's more tropey. You can believe it faster. So let's keep it moving. I get that, but I think there's still some work to do developing most of these characters. And I'm I'm very optimistic. You know, we've still got a bunch of episodes left here. I think there's is there eight episodes or ten? Yeah. I forget. But there's eight, eight in the season. Okay, eight in the season with another season on the way, potentially five full seasons coming. So plenty of time 
you know, pacing's not my concern. I just need to see some more time for these characters to like simmer and get to know each other and and um I, I think that will help us buy into their conversations and their conflicts a lot more if we just give it that time to tell a story let these characters breed a little that's what i really want i feel the same way and hopefully you get the characters to start to converge and yeah. that's where you don't have to be telling these 60 different stories <laughs> across right, 60 right. different locations because it's like oh okay Maybe we could have Galadriel actually talking to Nori, mm-hmm. right? And then you could potentially be building those two characters at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you have opportunities to do that, you don't have to rush through this. Okay, like this character's over here and they have to go do this. You can have more of these scenes of just two people interacting mm-hmm. with each other because it's condensed. Right. Work two times storylines and character development lines at the same time so imagine that that's <laughs> yeah and that's kind of the way of a lot of these epic fantasy books we're not or and shows mm-hmm. presumably is we're not shocked by the idea yeah. that characters are separate at the start and they'll eventually come together we've seen it a million times we've read a million of these fantasy books so we're not right shocked by any of this no. and it's not necessarily a bad thing but i'm just happy that if we're gonna put a billion dollars into a tv project that it's a fantasy show guys like this is huge this is huge for fantasy tv as if game of thrones isn't big enough now you have house of the dragons now you have um the rings of power there's no limit to where this thing can go so i'm just super excited that we're focusing a lot of creative energy uh, into fantasy television and I'll be tuning in for episode three and I'm eager to see where the show goes. Um, lots of adventure still to be had, lots of intrigue still to be found, lots of strangers to be identified as potentially Gandalf and I'm looking forward to all of it. Well said, Charles. I'm looking forward to it, too. And you look around at fancy TV, like you said, and now we're dealing with, right, we've got Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. I would say those are the two premier shows, and Mm -hmm. we just saw them smash all these records. But then we've got Wheel of Time. We've got The Witcher. Mm -hmm. We've got Sandman just came out recently. It is, I feel like we are entering... A golden age. Well said. Uh, and I feel like we've, that's been said before that we entered like this golden age of fantasy works or TV or what have mm-hmm. you, but we've never had the level of investment. Not only investment, but competition. That and that's the important thing for me. Mm-hmm. Netflix, Amazon, HBO duking it out over the title of having the fantasy TV show. Right. And whenever there's competition, we as viewers are going to win because now everyone's motivated to make the greatest show they can. And I've never seen this kind of a like a bloodbath to fight for the attention of fantasy mm. fans. Like that's really kind of the bet these studios are hedging. It's like, yeah, they're still making sci-fi shows and superhero shows and Star Wars shows and all of that. But fantasy just swooped in this quarter to dominate and i don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon so yeah super excited to see where that goes 
I'm excited too, Charles. I think we've got a lot of great fantasy content ahead of us, and you can count on the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast to keep on covering. I know we're watching Ring of Power, we're watching House of the Dragon, we're still reading tons of books. Like, when do we release these episodes? (laughs) You know, Uh, we're way ahead. I mean, now the listeners probably don't care at all about our recording schedule, but... We've put off all yeah, our book discussion episodes that are recorded in the can to talk exactly. about these TV shows because they're debuting. So yeah, we, we've got a nice little stockpile of some great books that are that are coming out. So, you know, don't want to miss any of the exciting fantasy literature that we've got out there. Maybe you're a Ring of Power fan and, and thinking about dabbling into some books. Well, keep listening, uh, uh, fellow listener and, and and wait and see what we've got in store a couple debut hmm. novels to trilogies and things like that that you're not going to want to miss it could be kind of interesting charles if we did an episode even for like because i think there is that transition that a lot for... of that jump that people don't always make where it's from hey i love game of thrones i love house of the dragon best and fantasy books for do i read tv show exactly. fans for well i no i think it's best fantasy or book recommendations for we do one for rings of power and then we do one separately for house of the dragon mm-hmm. right cuz i think that is that's a jump that you and i made way back yeah. is one where the game of thrones tv show early on was a huge impact. Like Charles and I, you know, we'd read fantasy some growing up, but what turned us into huge fantasy fans was making that leap from Game of Thrones fans to Song of Ice and Fire fans to fantasy as a genre. Exactly. And that's well said. I think a lot of people hopefully will be making that leap and we'll see if we can play our own little part in helping cool. out. I think that would be cool. I I agree. That's something we definitely need to to look into and get the ball rolling on for sure but until then i think there's nothing left for us to do but play that sweet sweet outro music get that sweet sweet outro music pumping charles okay it's not quite lord uh <laughs> lord of the rings the rings of this power level not composed by here. howard shore but you know we're <laughs> doing our best over here howard shore if you want to donate a theme for us that'd be awesome <laughs> I think it's mostly percussion. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't think there's eighty people and like in an strings. orchestra yeah. putting this together. No. I think there's yeah. one dude on a computer that put this together. <laughs> but uh, but not us. Not us. That's true. <laughs> but let's get it pumping anyway. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, do us a favor and go over to social media. Join the conversation there. Dylan is very active responding and reacting to our comments there. And there's a lot to be discussed about Rings of Power and House of the Dragon that you don't want to miss. That's over on Instagram at the FTF Podcast and Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. Now, Dylan, if someone listens to the show, they're a fan, they follow us on social media, and they want to support the show even more, what can they do? Top five stars to our podcast, and that goes out to you Spotify listeners now, because... Yeah, that is over half of our listenership. We know you all are out there. Some of you have been coming out and dropping those ratings, which we really appreciate. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so it's all the way up at the top 
for uh, our Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed for you Spotify listeners. There's, it's really easy. You're like two clicks away at any point from tossing us five stars, and it makes such a huge difference for us. Uh, also, Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review. But just listening is more than enough. Yes, listening, guys. You're all so awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hope to see you next time. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.